Would you all stand at this time as we reverence the reading of God's Word? Mark chapter 14, verse 9. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray him to them, and when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. May God bless the reading of his word today. It's my prayer. You may be seated. As Mark so often does in his gospel, he brings two stories together. We know that this was not done for the sake of chronology because uh, what Mark is doing in this passage, and Matthew also did the same thing, is he is combining events so that we will notice that these things happen together, uh, though it's not in chronological order. We know this because while Matthew and Mark just mention a time, while Jesus was at Bethany, Uh, John's gospel gives us a very specific day, John chapter 12 and verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Again, Mark's account, verse 3 says, While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Now, When you read these accounts, you'll notice that uh, Mark did not mention the place where they met, uh, or John rather, the house of Simon the leper. Uh, John didn't mention that, uh, but Mark did. Uh, It is in itself intriguing because lepers, of course, did not host feasts. Uh, In fact, their houses, once a person was diagnosed with leprosy, their houses had to be uh, sanitized and their whole possessions, all of their wardrobe, everything they had touched, uh, had to be burned. Uh, And from then on, for as long as they were leper, which mostly they were, it was a fatal condition, uh, they were not allowed to be around people. Uh, The only explanation for this was that Simon was a very famous miracle of Jesus. And the first century people knew who he was. He was one of the many lepers that Jesus had cleansed of his leprosy. And and they would immediately know that. It wasn't talking about then Simon uh, Peter, of course. His home was up in Galilee. It wouldn't have been talking about any of the other Simon, Simon the Zealot or so forth. It was Simon the leper, they would have called him. A man one well known for being a miracle of Jesus Christ. Isn't it great to be identified as being a miracle of Jesus? You say, man, I, I'd like to be. You are. If you're saved, you are a miracle. A walking, talking miracle of God's grace. Yes, you sure are. Uh, God's grace has made a change in you. And this was such an amazing thing that it stood out. And, oh, God, help us so that the change you've made in our life would stand out in the same way. So, Mark identifies the place. They were 
in the house of Simon the leper, but uh, John didn't, didn't tell us that. Mark doesn't mention the name of the woman. Just a woman came. John, from his perspective, writing at the end of the first century, tells us specifically this was none other than Mary, the sister of Martha and of Lazarus. Uh, yes, that Lazarus, the Lazarus that was raised from the dead. And so Simon the leper had uh, prepared this feast, this time of, of rejoicing. It would have played out on Saturday. If it was six days before the Passover, that would put it on what we call Saturday night. So all the way up into this narrative of the week, then Mark is pointing back to something that had happened. He pulls this up. And he reminds us of this story. And I think you'll see why that this story was all intertwined with Judas's betrayal and everything that was about to come as we see the narrative play out. Um, Passover ended at sundown, by the way. If you'd ever been in Israel when, uh, uh, they, or when the Sabbath ended, uh, Passover was also a Sabbath. Uh, whenever that Sabbath would end, then uh, on Saturday night, the streets would just fill up. It was a natural time then for people to gather and to enjoy company. And they'd apparently prepared a feast, a celebration. But again, Mark didn't bring this to show us the chronology he brings this to us so that we would connect the dots between this event, what happened on this night, and Judas's betrayal, his treacherous betrayal that was about to play out. So many things are brought together. Jesus, of course, was there. All the apostles were there. Simon the leper was there. Uh, Lazarus, Mary, Martha... Uh, there was Simon uh, who had been healed of leprosy. There was Lazarus who had been raised from the dead. That's quite a crowd. Quite a crowd. And in the midst of this celebration, Mary comes up to Jesus with an alabaster flask. Today we'd most likely call it yellow marble. It would have been carved by hand, of course, making the flask itself precious. Inside this flask was a pound, a whole pound of perfume called nard. Very, very costly. Imported in those days and still today manufactured in India. Uh, this was a very, very precious amount of nard. Now, how valuable was it? Well, Judas himself was the one who pronounced the value out of it. And if anybody would have known, it would have been Judas. 300 denarii. That was a year's wages in Bible times. I was curious this week, so I checked with ZipRecruiter about uh, uh, the current average salary in the state of Arkansas. And according to them, it's $65,000 a year. That's the average uh, salary for working people in the state of Arkansas. How accurate that is, I don't know. Uh, some of you remember not too long ago, it would have been $2,500 a year. Yes, some of you started out your working career making a dollar or a dollar and a quarter an hour. Um, we've come a long way since then, such as the power of inflation. It's been working on us a long time, hasn't it? You see, there was a time when values of things were pretty much fixed. I mean, dollars were pegged to the gold standard, and, and you could look at what a silver coin was worth, and, and then there's a, what a silver coin is worth today, and, and that's, that would have pegged it all out. But uh, now we have to look at things differently. 
Uh, this was, a denarii was a common uh, salary for a working man, a day's wages. So 300 would be about a year's salary. 65,000 a year. Let's just call it that. She broke the flask. Now, this particular flask would have been like any flask or container of perfume. It would have had a, a stopper type thing that they put in the top, like all perfume bottles. And uh, maybe uh, we all would identify with that, that bottle of perfume. You take it out, what do you do with it? You, you know, and just, 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 just a little dab. <laughs> just a little dab. That's all you need. This wasn't a time for dabbing with Mary because she would broke the neck of that bottle. This was a time for pouring it all out. She started on his head, Mark tells us, but John says she ended up at his feet where she reached back and took her long hair then as Jesus reclined and began to poured out on his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. The whole house was filled with smell. Jesus and Mary reeked of it. Absolute, I mean. <laughs> they reeked of it. This event absolutely infuriated Judas Iscariot. The Bible says he was indignant, infuriated. Though he masked his concern uh, behind uh, feigned feelings for the poor, uh, John tells us plainly that he was a thief and he wanted his hands on the money. Remember, this is, would probably bring sixty, sixty-five thousand dollars in their world. The only poor that he was interested in was poor Judas. Poor Judas wanted that money in his purse. He was a thief. He was stealing from the church. Poor Judas. Just a dab or two of that precious perfume for her to have washed Jesus' feet and put a little dab of that perfume, that would have been very acceptable. It would have been acknowledged. Everyone would have seen it. Oh, how nice. What a, a nice gesture that she brought out that good, precious perfume and put some of it on Jesus. What a, what a nice thing to do. But when she broke it open and poured it all out on him, it was a different story. While Judas thought it was all a waste, Jesus, of course, has a very different evaluation of things. Verse 6, Jesus said, let her alone. I love those words. <laughs> let her alone. Why do you trouble her? Leave her alone. Leave her alone. She has done a good work for me. There's that great work. You have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always... She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, 
What this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And Jesus' words are being fulfilled once again right here in Cabot America this morning. Wherever the gospel is preached, throughout the whole world, do you ever think from time to time how little of our life will really matter a hundred years from now? How about 50 years from now? I see people get messed up sometimes, bent out of shape. I see people even become suicidal over things that won't matter even a month from now. And if nobody's told some of you young folks lately, let me be the one to tell you, young man. Let me be the one to tell you, young lady, that that boyfriend you're breaking up with this week and that girlfriend you're breaking up with next week, you know what? Five years from now, you'll be thanking God you broke up with them. It's the way it works. People get all bent out of shape, all upset, over things that won't matter. But Jesus here describes a work that this woman did that would go on and on and on throughout the whole world, wherever the gospel is preached, as long as the gospel is preached. What this woman has done in this place will continue to be told and told and told, and it will bless and bless and bless and work and work and work. That's what we call a labor that lasts. My, this is something... Profound, Jesus said. What this woman did, Jesus was saying, was going to outlive the stars. I gave you the outline we're going to follow this morning for this message in the title. It is a great work and it is a treacherous betrayal. So let's begin with that great work. And there's several things we need to notice about this great work. The first thing that's put on display is the fact that it was misunderstood and it's said very plainly and very poignantly in a way that we can't misconstrue or miss it. This was a very misunderstood work. Judas was indignant, maybe others were too, and they all were saying, why was this fragrant oil wasted? Mary's work was criticized misunderstood, misrepresented, and her motives were impugned. How do you know that? Because they said she wasted it. She wasted it. The implication is that she was merely showing off, trying to draw attention to herself by this gift. After all, they said, if she wanted to give this to Jesus, why not give it to Him in a way that matters? She could give it to them. They could sell it. It goes in the church treasury. Who knows what all the good that we could do out of that. That's a huge gift. Why Why just pour it all out on him like that? She's just showing off. The very first thing we need to understand this morning is that when we dedicate ourselves in a real way to the cause of Jesus Christ, to serve Him, to live for Him, somebody, somebody, is likely to criticize it. Somebody might complain about it. Somebody may question our motives. But let's just make it a point this morning to understand that the problem was not in Mary's heart. The problem was in Judas's heart. You see that? It wasn't Mary that had an impure motive. It was Judas that had an impure motive. He wanted to get his hands on the money. 
It wasn't Mary whose heart was wrong. It was Judas's heart was wrong. He didn't care about what she was doing for Jesus Christ. He was the one that was putting on a show, not Mary. I see no indication that Mary let Judas's problem become her problem. And that's a great lesson for us to learn this morning. It's because somebody is complaining or somebody is critical or somebody has something to say. We don't have to let that get into our heart or bother us at all. From what I can see, Mary just went right on wiping Jesus' feet and worshiping Him. No matter what anybody else said, it didn't matter. And so as God's people, you and I need to steal our hearts and steal our resolve so that we understand that we are going to be misunderstood. Yes, someone might complain. Yes, Someone might have something to say. Sadly, unfortunately, it might even be other Christian people who have something to say. Even other folks in the church who may have something to say. (laughs) If it could happen to this work that Jesus said, as long as the gospel is preached, this story is going to be told and told. If somebody could have something bad to say about that. We shouldn't feel ourselves isolated if somebody has something bad to say about something we do. Just keep on worshiping Jesus. So it was a misunderstood work, but it was also a mighty work. And it was a mighty work for two very simple reasons. Because she gave it all. (laughs) Don't you like that she broke the flask? She gave it all and she gave it to Jesus. And there were those who said this was a waste. But I want to tell you this morning, not one drop of it went to waste. But you know, pouring out that much, I mean a whole pound, uh, however much that was, it was was quite a bit. Pouring out that much, you know, some of it probably fell on the floor. You know what I have to say about that? (laughs) So what? So what? It still wasn't wasted. Why? Because she gave it all to Jesus. And we're going to see that it had a very specific meaning and Jesus is going to tell us what that is in a moment. But for right now, let's just understand. She gave it all and she gave it all to Jesus. She wasn't just going to give Him a little bit. She gave it all. And she gave it all to Jesus. Nothing is ever wasted when we give it all to Jesus. I'll never forget uh, seeing a young man surrender to preach. He had gone to college and got a college education. And when his dad found out that he was going to begin preaching, he, his dad was brokenhearted. He thought, man, I, I wasted all that money, all that time sending him to college. Uh, it wasn't a waste. It wasn't a waste. Nothing is ever wasted when it's given to Jesus Christ. So it was a misunderstood work, but it was also a mighty work. And, and, it was a meager work in its own way. Now before I leave the other point and go on to this one, let me tell you something. You know, that father that was so concerned about his son, and I want you to know he repented of that and he got right. He did. 
I was glad to see it, and it, it, was, it was a precious time. It, but just on the moment, you know, it's just thinking. And maybe others have thought the same thing along the way. Nothing's wasted when it's given to Jesus. But when she gave it all, and she gave it all to Jesus, yet Jesus would say of that, verse 8, she has done what she could. She has done what she could. I mean, think of that crowd. There was Martha, and she was such a good cook, and Mary might not have been that good. She, wasn't, she didn't do a whole lot of it in the Bible narrative. The apostles, they were all there, and they had done those mighty works for Jesus and would do many, many more. They were great preachers like uh, Simon Peter and John. There was Lazarus and Simon who were such powerful testimonies because of the miracles that Jesus had worked in their life. Uh, and then there was Mary. She did what she could. She did what she could. Anybody else here in the crowd this morning ever give your kids money to go buy you a Christmas present with? You and your mom? Anybody else see that? I tell you, it's fun to watch. I mean, you know, we used to get entertained with our kids just take them to Walmart with us on Saturday night on our typical trip and, and give them all a dollar and say, go buy whatever you want. <laughs> it was entertaining. Even back then, they couldn't buy much with a dollar. So it was just a constant little thing. Kept them busy for the whole time we was buying groceries. We'd give them a little bit more for their, their, their Christmas shopping, but it was still fun to watch them how they'd put their money together and plan it all out. They didn't have a dime to their name that we didn't give them. I want to tell you something this morning. God never asked of us anything that He hasn't given us first. Whatever we have to give to God, He gives to us. She's done what she could. God knew what she had. There was an old hymn writer named Ira Stanfield who wrote a great song, Follow Me, and it has a line in it. It says, if just a cup of water I place within your hand, then just a cup of water is all that I demand. She gave it all, and she gave it all to Jesus. It wasn't what others could do. She did what she could do. And that's exactly how Jesus described it. And when he did, no doubt, he was touching the feelings of her heart. Because in her heart, no doubt, because Jesus said it just that way. She has done a good work. She has done what she could. She had gone through her mind thinking, what can I do for Jesus? And she brought him what she had. And she broke it. And she gave it all to him. It's a very good possibility. It's strongly likely that had she not uh, done that, it would have been because uh, things would have changed or things would have played out differently. You see, if, if Lazarus hadn't been raised from the dead, she might have used that on Lazarus. So in her mind, maybe she was thinking, you know, well, I, I didn't, we didn't use it then, and and, and so now I can do it. I, you know, some of that may have played into it. Seemed meager to her, no doubt. But the text tells us it was very meaningful because she did what she could. And she did all she could. And so if it was misunderstood, and it was, but if, if it was mighty, though it was in its own way meager, because compared to what everybody else was doing, it might not have seemed like much, but she had done a good work, and she has done it all for Jesus. 
It was also a very meaningful work. She has come beforehand, verse 8, to anoint my body for burial. See, one of the reasons why that we can so confidently say that Mary's offering to Jesus wasn't wasted was because of what Jesus said. The true meaning of it was to anoint him for the burial. Jesus had been talking about dying a lot and everybody had been arguing with him somewhere in all of that message though of Lazarus and the resurrection and of Jesus telling them about believing in him and and never dying and I'm the resurrection and the life. Mary got it. Mary got it. And so she was moved not just to give it all and to give it all to Jesus, but to do so in order to anoint him beforehand for the burial. I think about this passage every time I preach a funeral and see those beautiful flowers. I'm not complaining or criticizing you or me, because I do it too, of sending flowers when somebody dies. But I think about this passage because wouldn't it be great if they could see them, those flowers? See, she came beforehand. She could have done it after. No, she came beforehand to give this to Jesus. But in her heart and in her mind, she was doing this for His burial. So we see that Mary did what she could, and she did all she could, and she did it when she could. Why was that so significant? Because if you spring forward that first Easter Sunday morning that we're going to get to see in a few weeks, you see that group of women winding their way through the narrow streets of Jerusalem. Where are they going? They're going to the tomb of Jesus. What are they going there to do? To anoint His body for the burial. Did they get to do it? No. Why not? Because His body was already gone. So that if Mary had not anointed him when she did, the body of Jesus would have never been anointed. She has wrought a good work. She has come beforehand to anoint my body unto the burial. You know, the greatest threat to the Lord's work is tomorrow. More people are robbed of the blessings of Jesus. More people will spend eternity in hell over this one word than over anything else. Tomorrow, we consider something, something on our heart, a burden that we have, something we've considered, we see the truth of it. Yes, we need to do it. We're convicted by it. The Holy Spirit convicts us. Yes, that's exactly what I need to be be doing or that I need to do. We commit. We're, We're considering it. We're convicted by it. We commit to it. We say yes. Yes, I'll do it. Then comes that dreaded word, tomorrow, next week. You see what I'm saying this morning? We consider it. We're convicted by it. Yes, it needs to be done. We respond to it. We consent to it. Yes, I will. And everything is poised and ready. It's all playing out as if it is exactly what it's supposed to be done. Yes, I've made the response. Yes, I've considered it. But then when we add that tomorrow in on the end, what we've just done is undo everything else. So that all that conviction, all that determination, all that time where we said yes, all that commitment, 
It's all gone. And let me tell you how that plays out. By the time you sit down to your Sunday lunch table, all that conviction and commitment is gone. That's why the Bible says today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't put this off because putting it off is really the worst way of saying no. So it was a misunderstood work. It was a mighty, though in its own way, a meager work. She has done what she could. She did it all, and she did it all to Jesus. It was a meaningful work because she anointed him beforehand for the burial. It was a memorable work. This will be told then as a memorial to her, the labor that lasts. But if there's a great work in the text, and there is, there is also a treacherous betrayal. Mark 14 and 10, then, then. Now, though Mark is telling us this story, uh, and we'd almost miss it and think, well, you know, this is playing out here. Really, he wasn't concerned about the chronology. He wants us to get the events. We might wonder how that Judas Iscariot could be the church treasurer, which meant he was elected to a leadership position in the church. How he could go out two by two with all the other apostles and do all the things that they did. How he could go and and be around Jesus for three and a half years and yet betray Him. Mark tells us what pushed him over the edge. It's what happened with Mary. Then, Mark says, then. Judas Iscariot said, that's it. The great poet and philosopher Steve Miller once said of Bobby Sue, Judas was out to take the money and run. Take the money and run. That's what he was out to do. Mary gave Jesus an incredible amount because Jesus was worth it. But Judas? Judas sold out Jesus for a tiny amount by comparison. Mary's offering... And today's money by today's wages would amount to about $65,000. Judas's 30 pieces of silver, the most generous that we could give it, would be about $5,000. We need to remember this morning that people sell Jesus out every day for a lot less than that. This passage is designed then to tell us we see what what Mary thought Jesus was worth and then we're going to find out very quickly what Judas thought Jesus was worth. What do we think Jesus is worth? Our word worship is obviously related to the word worth. And in fact, the whole idea of worship is to ascribe worth, worthy. What is Jesus worth to us? The Old Testament tells the story of Isaac's son Esau. As the oldest son, Esau had the privilege of being the spiritual leader of his whole clan. He would be both the prophet and priest rolled into one as his father Isaac had been, as his grandfather Abraham had been. Esau, by birth, had the right to assume that position. Spiritual leader for his whole family. He traded it for a bowl of beans. 
Many men in America today are selling the privilege out to be the spiritual leader of their family and don't even get a bowl of beans. What do we get when we sell out or when we sell Jesus out? Jesus told us, Matthew 16, 26, but what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man, notice it, what will a man, what will a man give? Give in exchange for his soul. If we were saying that, we'd say, what will a man get? Jesus didn't say it. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? When we turn our back on Jesus Christ, when we refuse Him as our Savior, when we walk away from Him or reject Him, when we stop living for Him, drop out of church, move on in our life, when we go our own way, leave Jesus in the dust. We're going to take the money and run. What do we get? It's not what we get, folks. It's what we give. Whatever we might get is inconsequential and insignificant. We'll not be able to enjoy it any longer than Judas enjoyed that 30 pieces of silver. He never even got to spend it. Not a dime. But then there's Mary. She gave it to Jesus. She gave it all to Jesus. Not a bit of it was wasted. And the Bible, so careful as it always is, to make a very big point for us today. What did Judas actually do with that 30 pieces of silver? You remember. He threw it back to the people who gave it. They couldn't even use it themselves because it was the price of blood, they said, so they went out and bought a field and called it the field of blood and Judas was probably the first one buried in it. Didn't get to spend that. But you see Mary there at the feet of Jesus, wiping that oil on his feet, pulling her hair down, and wiping his feet with her hair. You see, what she gave to Jesus came back on her too. She gave it to Jesus, but it came back on her. And that's the way it is. I don't know. You, you might not be able to deposit it in the bank, and it's not even about that. It's about our eternal reward. And that's what this great, great text is teaching us. I believe I have one more passage on the slide presentation. Don't I, Miss Amy? I don't? Okay. Never mind. Because I've got it up here. Whether I ended it up there or not, I don't. But it is up here. Because there's a time, a day that's going to come, and Jesus just got through talking about it. When he's going to send out his mighty angels. And the Bible says he's going to reward every man according to his works. See what Jesus said? As long as the gospel is preached throughout the whole world and longer, this story will continue on. You see, the difference between what is wasted and what is invested is all about who it's given to. What is Jesus worth to us? 
I hope today you know that Jesus Christ that Mary knew, that I know, and that most everybody in this building knows, but maybe you don't know. Maybe you never received him as your Savior. Maybe this would be the time where you understood that Jesus Christ gave all that he had for you. That he died and was buried, rose again the third day, and he gives out a simple message. Whoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That can be your testimony today. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I'm see. I once was lost, but now I know Jesus Christ as my Savior. It's as simple as believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved. Maybe you've been saved for a long time, but you haven't followed the Lord in baptism. Maybe Jesus Christ is leading you to be a part of our church family.